Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Unstoppable, the podcast. My name is Kerwin Ray and today we're getting all spiritual. Let me tell you, we are going to be interviewing Preetha G. Preetha Krishna is a teacher of modern spirituality. Now, this lady is incredible. Let me tell you, in 2002, she founded the movement for the Golden Age in Bangalore. And in 2009, along with her husband, Krishnaji, she co-founded the One World Academy, which has become the go-to one-stop shop, if I can say it that way, for spirituality and consciousness in India, which is reaching out to the Western world. She is also the co-founder of the White Lotus Conglomerate, as well as the co-founder of the ONO Academy. This lady is incredible, and we dive deep and wide into the conversation around spirituality, meditation, consciousness, and we also go on a little bit of a journey and talk about how I had my stroke and how Preet the G and the One World Academy was actually involved in the lead up to this incredible realization and this incredible awakening. This is going to be gripping. Get ready. Listen up. Preet G, thank you so much for joining us for our podcast. Great to have you here in Australia. Thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. No, you're welcome. It's great to have you here. Wonderful to be here and to be a part of your podcast. Fantastic. Well, listen, before we start, I thought it would be nice for me to share my experience with uh, the One World Academy, because I know the One World Academy with yourself and your husband is, you know, it's, it's spreading rapidly around the world and you're affecting change, you know, in many countries and, and people and families you know, all over the place. And I have very fond memories of my introduction to, to, to One World and, and the Oneness Blessings. Back in 2009, uh, one of your students, uh, or I think it was one of your, like, what do you call it? Was it the faculty? One of the faculty. Yeah. Diksha? No, no. Uh, Dasa. Dasa, yeah, Dasa one of your Dasas, uh, came to Sydney and they did a, an incredible discourse for us where there was maybe 15, maybe 20 of us in a room. And he came in and he was wearing this beautiful white robe. And I swear to God, when he came in, he floated in the room. He was just almost walking on a cushion of air. And he was so happy. He had this, 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 this look of peace and joy on his face from the moment he arrived. And what was amazing is he had a really bad flu. So he was really sick, but he was still really content and really happy. And he sat at the front of the room in a chair, exactly like you're sitting right now, took his slippers off before he got on the chair. Uh, and he spent the first maybe 15 to 20 minutes of the, of the discourse not saying a word, just looking at everybody. <laughs> and I remember for the first maybe minute or so, I was like, what's going on? Like, isn't he supposed to be talking? And then after about a minute, I was like, okay, I understand. Like, he's just observing, you know, he's just observing. And it was amazing to see the different reactions in the room because I was sitting in the front row and I'm, you know, I'm having a little bit of a look around and you know, some people were very uncomfortable in the silence you know, and some people were you know, judging the silence and others were wondering what was going on and very few people were really under, you know, at peace in the silence. And then for about 20 minutes he started to speak and he spent maybe, it was a good two hours sharing his philosophies about life and love and spirituality yeah. and you know, the metaphor of the internet and, and connectedness. Uh, and then at the end of it, he invited us to receive a blessing, the oneness blessing that you guys talk of. And the incredible thing was, he said, look, this blessing that I'm about to, to give you, we've actually observed the brain and how the brain operates uh, under fMRI when we give these blessings and we've observed that the parietal lobe slows down and the frontal lobes start to become more active and explained how, which for most people who are listening who may not know this, you know, he explained that the parietal lobe is the part of the brain that is responsible for us feeling separate from the world. And he, you know, he related it to, you know, when we feel separate and then you apply beliefs and perhaps, you know, extreme perspectives and values on top of that. And you have two that are in opposition that can create levels of conflict and at, you know, at higher levels culturally and, and, and at country level can be even more. So he said, the reason we call it the oneness blessing is because this part of the brain starts to slow down and your frontal lobes start to become more active and you start to feel more connected and less separate from your world. And I remember thinking, wow, that's incredible. So he said, I'd now like to give everyone their blessing. And so I was front row, he goes, everyone close your eyes. And so I'm, I'm like a five-year-old at the best of times. So he told me to close my eyes and I, I was peeking out the side to see what he was doing. Uh, and he started down the end of the row and he, you know, he was, the chanting and the music was playing and you know, he was giving his blessings. And then I kept on peeking out the side of my eye and, and then he got to me. And then as he got to me and he started to bless, I started to hear a quiver in his voice. And I opened my eyes and I saw that his hands were shaking a little bit. And I remember thinking to myself, his hands weren't shaking for anybody else. <laughs> what the hell's going on? And, um, and then all of a sudden, I remember feeling like a deep sense of peace. Uh, and I grew up, I had a very fortunate upbringing where my mother introduced me to, you know, to physical healing and energetic healing at a very early age. And so I've had a lot of experience with, you know, with energies and healers. And 
know, to be able to feel a blessing like that was quite actually incredible. Um, but where it got interesting was the very next day. I, um, uh, it was, that was at, let's call it eight o'clock in the evening. The very next day, it was uh, two minutes to four o'clock. I just got home from uh, a workout. I was, I was going into my house and I was working from home at the time. And this, is, this was February 24th, 2009. So that was February 23rd. Okay. And then all of a sudden, um, I was talking to my PA and she, said, she looked at me and she said, Cohen, I think you need to sit down. And I was like, why? She goes, you need to sit down. And then I started to talk and all of a sudden, I started to, to lisp and I looked down and my face started to, to collapse, my mouth opened and I just had drool, just came pouring out of my mouth onto my chest. And I was just like, I looked at it and the first thing I could do was actually laugh. I actually laughed, I'm like, I looked at her and I laughed. I was like, <laughs> and I had drool pouring down my chest and she's like, oh my God. And she says to me, you're having a healing reaction from your blessing last night, sit down and ground yourself. And so I crouched on the ground and I went to put both my hands on the ground. And I, and I, put, I remember putting both my hands on the ground because she's saying, you need to ground yourself, put your hands on the ground. And I put what I thought were both of my hands on the ground. And I remember feeling with my right hand, it was very cold. And my left hand, it was very cold. But then all of a sudden she starts yelling at me saying, put your left hand on the ground. And I looked up and my left hand was actually up here and it was twisted. Okay. And then I laid down and everything went completely quiet. And I was, I was maybe unconscious for what felt like 30 seconds. Okay. And during that time, and this is where it gets a little bit weird. Um, not only did everything go dark, but all of a sudden, I, I literally felt like I tapped into the mobile phone network. All of a sudden, I heard multiple conversations overlapping one another. And I could hear one dominant female voice. And, I, and I was, although I was unconscious, I wasn't unconscious. My, I could not see, but I could still hear and talk. And so my PA was going, I'm going to call an I could hear her saying, I'm going to call an ambulance. And I said to her, don't call the ambulance, listen. She says, listen to what? I said, listen to the voices. <laughs> and she's like, I'm definitely calling an ambulance. I said, no, no, just listen. And I could hear these voices and it was incredible because I couldn't actually hear what was being said, but I could hear all these conversations overlapping on one another. And I literally thought to myself, oh my God, I've tapped into the phone networks. And then that went very quiet and I went into a new place. And this new place that I went to, everything I thought about made sense. Like every question I'd ever had was answered. And, and I know how unusual this can sound, but I literally felt like I had tapped into something so much greater than myself. And I've got an interest in quantum mechanics and particle physics. I've got an interest in spirituality. And when I started to think about not only just the meaning of life and the purpose of life, but when I started to think about, you know, even complex equations from quantum mechanics, everything was just coming to me. And I, 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 I'm very careful to say, but I felt like I had a complete understanding. And then I got taken to another place and this other place that I went to, I was presented with a choice and it wasn't a verbal choice. It was just a choice that I was aware of. And the choice was you can stay or you can go. Yeah, okay. And um, I remember at the time thinking, you know, I've lived many lives. Uh, okay, we've all lived many lives. But in this life that I've been in, I have really lived many lives. Like I have, I've enjoyed so much experience. I've lived so much in this, in this vessel that I've had. And I remember thinking to myself, if I died today, it wouldn't be a dishonor. It wouldn't be a shame because I've already lived so much. And I remember thinking without attachment, I'm actually ready to go. And as soon as I said, I'm ready to go, my eyes opened <laughs> and I was awake. And my, my PA was there and she's crying. <laughs> I'm lying on the ground. She's got one head over my head, one head over my chest and she's crying. And, and I got up and I took a few steps and I stumbled. And the short version was I get taken to hospital. Okay. And at first they thought I'd had an epileptic seizure and then they gave me a CT scan. They said, well, nothing's wrong with you. And they're about to send me home. And then an Indian doctor comes in and he goes, we're just going to send you for an MRI just to, just to be sure. So they sent me for an MRI just to be sure. And then he came back and he goes, it appears that you've actually had a stroke. And I was like, okay. He said, you've had a two and, a, a two and three quarter centimeter stroke in your parietal lobe, lobe okay. <laughs> in your brain. And I was like, oh. I was like completely, and he goes, can you think of any reason why this would have happened? And I said, well, there was this Indian dude. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to share the story. The doctor's like, didn't want to, wasn't interested, didn't want to have a bar of it. And um, the miraculous thing was, for the next two weeks in hospital, the doctors were trying furiously to find out why I had this stroke. But what was interesting is I knew why I had the stroke from the very beginning. And, you know, and I don't want this to necessarily, this is not about a warning for anyone. This was about understanding that this, the, the gift that was given to me was a great one. And from the moment that it came on, 
I knew it was a gift. Like I knew it was a gift that was given to me by the blessing that I received. So the moment it came on, I didn't resist it. I didn't fight it. And then for the two weeks in hospital, I let the doctors do their things and try and work it out. And they couldn't work it out. There was no explanation for the stroke whatsoever. But what was interesting is over the next, they said to me that I probably wouldn't be able to work for at least 12 months or more. I was back doing what I do six weeks later. And I always used to, before I'd start a presentation, I always used to leave like 20 minutes at the beginning of the presentation where I'd have nothing planned and I'd just get up there and I'd tune into the audience and I'd allow whatever to come through me to come from the audience, to just be of service. And six weeks later, I was back on stage and I started to share. And all of a sudden, things started coming from me and I had no idea where it was coming from. Like there were things that came out of my mouth and as I'm saying them, I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know where this is coming from. I have no idea. And over about nine months, I started to document all what was coming out. And it wasn't until maybe six months later that I realized that what was coming out of me was the realizations that I'd had while I was actually having the stroke. And it was an incredible experience. And so I haven't really had, I've, I've shared this story with many people all over the world, but I haven't actually had the opportunity to share it with, um, with anyone from the One World Academy. So, you know, from, from my heart to yours, that stroke was fundamentally one of the most important experiences in my life that changed the trajectory and the direction of not only my life, but my spirit, my soul. And so I'd like to take this opportunity to say how thank does you. It, how has it changed you as a person? Well, what's interesting is I'm a lot more um, aware now. Like I've always had a level of awareness or I've always been... I was exposed to consciousness at an early age, mm -hmm. and so I've always been you know, developing a level of awareness. But since the stroke, I'll give you the, 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 a great example. I lost, um, for, for the two weeks, almost a month in hospital, I had a 15-second memory, uh -huh. and I, had, I lost the ability to communicate properly. Oh. So every 15 seconds, someone would hit the reset button, and I'd forget what's just happened, right? Okay. And I'd have problems communicating. And so what I started to do is when people came to visit me in hospitals and the doctors and the nurses came in, it, they would talk to me, but I knew within 15 minutes, I was, 15 seconds, I was going to forget what they said. And so I stopped listening to people and I started feeling people. Okay. So I started listening, not with my head, I started listening with my heart. And, um, you know, I've, my mother's a clairvoyant and a psychic, and so I've always felt like I've had a, like a bit of a gift when it comes to intuition and feeling, but I felt like the stroke just accelerated it and just opened up this this waterfall of of intuition that now serves me every single day and, and i'm very grateful for for the work that you guys have done because you know it's it's certainly touched my life amazing i didn't know this <laughs> no. well i was a little bit worried to tell you because i was like oh geez how do we you know we're starting a conversation about, oh you gave me a stroke <laughs> but it was beautiful it was really a beautiful experience i've never heard of uh, giving a stroke but uh, <laughs> yes but it's incredible it's the inc it's incredible the power of a healing but as long as we don't interpret the healing in the wrong way, because a lot of people interpreted my stroke as being bad, but from the moment it happened, I knew it wasn't bad. I knew it was a blessing. I knew it was a healing, and it was giving me something great. So for those people who are probably intrigued at home now thinking, oh my God, what is this One World all about? Why don't you tell us what the One World Academy is all about? Coming from your experience, it has made you into a better human being, mm. a human being who can connect, who can love more who is not in oneself feeling separate and alienated from the world. Just as we began this whole conversation as you're talking about your relationship with your kid, it's amazing. But not many people share that experience with their children. Mm. So it's, it's about not feeling separate. It is about feeling connected. It is about living in a beautiful state so you can create a beautiful life for yourself and create a beautiful life for your loved ones. Mm. So it's a wisdom and philosophy school. It is coming together of a direct experience and liberative wisdom. So we can transform and revolutionize one's experience of life. That's beautiful. And how did One World Academy originate? We have a tradition of uh, being part of the spiritual one oneness. Um, Krishnaji, son of uh, the founder of Oneness, Oneness. and uh, we had an experience as a family about eight years ago. So 2008 is what we're talking. And um, it was an experience where we met with an accident, but it was not a bad one. We emerged safe from the accident. And in that experience, in that accident, there were so many questions that got answered for my husband. And he was able to see the actual reason why humanity was suffering. From that experience started One World Academy. Mm. 
it's a solution for humanity's suffering because in that experience he was able to see that humanity suffer not because of others not because of some circumstances it can trigger stress in us but we continue to live in that state of suffering because of a preoccupation with oneself mm. and he was able to see it so clearly when we met with that accident Wow. that it was that constant preoccupation with oneself was causing him so much of pain and there was a way out to live free of that suffering because yeah. when you live in suffering when anyone lives in suffering we only perpetuate suffering mm. when we are living in stress we only perpetuate stress there is another way to live life mm. to live life from a beautiful state what was buddha who who said it beautifully he said life is painful but suffering is optional suffering is definitely optional yeah. it's a choice and this entire philosophy that is developed is around yourself and how much it, the preoccupation with yourself is separating you from the rest yeah right separating you from the world separating you from your family separating you from your community that you're living in that's beautiful so you and your husband krishna ji you aim to you aim to free people from unhappiness and suffering so how do you do that the first important insight or realization is that we live only in two states forever humanity has lived only in two states and there is no third state one is a stressful state and other is a no stress state and the beautiful state to know that we are either living in this or that it's a huge revelation because you need to make a choice in life whether you want to continue to live in a stressful state causing greater suffering and pain to others or you want to live in a beautiful state so what we do is a combination of a wisdom liberative wisdom wisdom that has a feeling of freedom at the end of it that can free you from suffering and also direct experience direct experience the one that you had a space of deep calm a space of connection that you experience it's an experience it's direct experience of a great insight a great realization that becomes yours it is no longer somebody else insight it is no longer somebody else experience but it becomes yours and it revolutionizes the way you feel the way you feel whether you feel separate or you feel totally connected to everything that is around you What do you think is the problem with the separateness? Why is separateness a problem? If you go back to our own lives, if you go back to yours or yeah. mine, when you're angry, when you are hurt, when you are feeling uh, suffering from loneliness, when you're stressed, there is no place for the other in your life, in your world, in your inner world. You're feeling totally disconnected from all that is happening around you. As long as you're living in the state which is limited, which is stressful state, they can there there is no way that even your child is present for you in your life. Only when you're able to break through from that state and move into a beautiful state, everybody comes alive. So you talk about this beautiful state and you make you make consciousness sound so attractive. What how do you define what this beautiful state is? beautiful state is a state where you're totally present to other it is a state of feeling connected to everything around you it can be an expansive state where you can feel the entire universe is that what we refer to as enlightenment yes being one with everything okay it's an exp- it's an enlightened state or it can be a state where you can actually feel your child mm. not feeling very separate it can it it ranges but it's a state it's a state where you're feeling totally present to everything around you and you're not living in a state of chaos not living in a state of conflict not living in a state of stress and what do you think stops people from experiencing this beautiful state we have not as a civilization we have not brought attention to our inner state we have not the life is moving so fast we are caught up in doing 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 and the being is so much neglected 
if we start bringing attention to our being and if we start seeing where we are living from which state we are living then you will there is a natural tendency to move out of the stressful state into experiencing the beautiful states but the problem is the entire focus is only on doing mm-hmm. and so much less on the being but if your being is transformed if your consciousness is transformed and it expands to include others then your thinking gets transformed there is no chaos and confusion in your thinking and then your actions are decisive and they're powerful powerful enough to help and impact others and create greater good for this world why do you think like look everyone's got a perspective on where the world is at right now you know some people think that you know when we've we've never been closer to complete and utter chaos and others think that we're on the verge of you know a cataclysmic you know evolution of consciousness but in terms of where we are regardless of how people perceive it when we look at suffering in the world why do you think people suffer do you think it's a perspective do you think it's a situation what why do you think suffering is present still in the world i didn't get your question now we have suffering yes some people suffer mm. you're talking about suffering you're talking about uh, uh problems you've talked yeah. about challenges challenges but um it's more the perspective that people take because for me i've always yes. looked at not always for for a, for a long time now since i've been on the journey of my own you know i'm own self awareness i've started to realize that suffering suffering is a perspective you know because you can have two people in the same situation and you can have one person that is you know completely grateful and feeling totally blessed and connected with whatever is happening in their world and you can have someone right beside them experiencing the same situation and experiencing yeah. resentment and hate and blame and guilt and shame in the exact same situation the only difference is the two people so i'm curious to know from from what you guys do with one world why you know because some people say you know if if there was a god you know there would be no suffering and in my in my life i believe that suffering is an important ingredient in the evolution of our consciousness because the great without pain how do we wake up so i'm curious to know from your perspective or the one world perspective is why you think what do you think the purpose of suffering is i don't think from one world perspective there is no great purpose for suffering because when we look at people who are suffering they're not creating greater good for the society but it is only people who are moved away from suffering who are living in a beautiful space who are living in a space of joy and happiness creating greater joy and happiness to people around why suffering is because you have not brought attention to your inner world continue for us suffering is the continuation of the inner dialogue once the event is over once the challenge is over but you continue living in that state of with this inner dialogue of blame blaming yourself blaming the other blaming the system mm-hmm. there's so much of anger so much of hate that is being cultivated and we don't bring attention to that inner state and it continues and for few people we've been working with people for so many years it continues for a lifetime yeah and it doesn't stop with a lifetime it continues for generation because we not only um inherit we not only give to our uh, children the financial inheritance but also the emotional inheritance yeah, and absolutely. we epigenetically transfer our state to our children yeah i believe that and it is very important that every one of us decide to live in a beautiful state mm. not in a suffering state because it's important that we create a great a wonderful generation future for the future but do you think suffering is important because for me i look at without suffering how would we why would we look for something else you know i think again it was buddha who said the greater the pain the greater the awakening and you awakening has to happen right yeah. what about wallowing in suffering and living yeah. in that state of suffering not getting out of it which as you said some people do but do you think suffering and pain play an important role in the awakening of an individual you mentioned yourself you that your husband had an accident and it was through the accident that the one world was born actually we are we we uh, actually we have people asking us like what is your greatest suffering it was just a moment of an accident where where he was able to bring attention to how suffering was continuing right. it is a it is a matter of insight but we don't believe in you need one person needing to have lived in suffering or lived a lot of life in suffering yeah. in order to experience beautiful but let me share with you we as a couple live 
it is very important for us to create a generation which can help and support and who can be compassionate and loving. I don't think Loka, my 13-year-old, has suffered a great deal. Understood. But she's an amazing individual. Yeah. An individual who can connect, an individual who can be kind, who can be loving, not in terms of values and ideas that we have dinned into her. We have never, never done it. We have not asked her to be this. Yeah. But just with the experience of love and connection that she shares with us. She reflects she, the environment. Yeah. She doesn't need to suffer to be that person. Yeah, I understand. You don't need to make her feel that, you know, life is other way so that you have to live this way. No. Just that way of life is like, just be kind, just be loving. It's definitely not a matter of uh, ideals because we don't believe in dinning in ideals in children. Yeah. Because it kind of creates so much of conflict within oneself and that conflict only separates. Mm. There's no big deal about conflict. Yeah. It only separates you from the rest. So it is a way of life. It's a natural state where you can live in a beautiful state and you can love, you can be kind, you can be compassionate, you can create a difference in the world. Yeah. I don't think she suffered great deal. You can ask her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a great perspective because, you know, I think there, are, there is a lot of teachings out there. And again, I, I, I share with you what I reflect from my own experience, which is my awakenings, and I've had many, have come from you know, numerous you know, painful experiences. Like I've had seven near-death experiences and every time, and the stroke was the, the last one, and, and every time I have something, it just it wakes me up that little bit more. But to hear your perspective, especially with a child who comes into an environment, that they don't need to suffer in order to experience the beautiful state. Now that's going to be refreshing for many people to hear, because you know, some people are probably in a situation right now where they haven't got pain, they haven't got suffering, but they would like to feel more connected. You know, they would like to yes. experience this beautiful state that you speak of. And you know, with some people telling them that, that, you know, that pain is the awakening, they might be searching for pain in order to wake up, and where in fact they actually don't need it in the first place. We hear great speakers talk starting their life from a painful experience or a great deal of suffering that they've experienced as a child or something yeah. that has happened in their lives. Life need not be that way. Me, uh, Krishnaji and I, we don't believe in, like you need to be in suffering in mm. order to be awakened. That's refreshing. Yes. That's very refreshing. And a lot of people get <laughs> so a huge sigh of relief with that. So how, look, obviously to, to find this beautiful state, you know, we do need to, become, I guess we need to start with more awareness. But we need to slow down, I guess, at some point. So how do we slow down in a world that seems to be moving so fast and only appears to be moving even faster every day with technology and automation? It's important to realize that life begins from within. Life begins from the state of consciousness, which is the edifice, which is the foundation for everything that we experience in life. If you want to create a beautiful life, it is important that we start to bring attention to our consciousness, start bringing attention to our thinking, to our emotions. And from that space, from that foundation of being in a beautiful state of consciousness, go, go ahead to create a beautiful life. And what do you think, what is the role of self-awareness self in finding the beautiful state? Unless until you know which state you are. Yeah. Unless until you're able to bring attention to the movement of your thinking, to the movement of your emotions, you would never be able to break free of those states into experiencing beautiful states. It is not like trying to say you're here, you need to get there. But it is to say that you are here and there is a totally different way of experiencing life. And the stress dissolves as you start bringing greater attention to yourself. And one of the processes you use for that is meditation. Oh yes, meditation. one of the clear paths that we use is for meditation because definitely we use liberative wisdom. For us, wisdom, the right wisdom, the liberative path is very important. Yeah. And what we see is when people do get back into their lives, it is important to hold the insight very clear in them because they're able to see what is happening within them as it is arising. And meditation is the path. Mm. For us, the practice is about returning back to a beautiful state of consciousness. So what does meditation mean to you? For us, it means declutching from habitual negative states or habitual negative thinking or habitual stressful states, I would say. Right. Because we, as, as kids, we grow up, we tend to live in one particular state of stress. We get back to that state of stress again and again. Few people experience 
uh, fear more than the other, few people experience sadness more than the other, few people experience loneliness more than the others. But there is one state that we get back to again and again. And any challenge that comes up, we get back to it. Any challenge that comes up, we move into anger. Any challenge that comes up, we move into sadness and loneliness. So it's, it's the default. It is, yeah, you, yeah, it becomes your baseline state and you move into it again yeah. and again. So it is important to use your awareness, it is important to use the meditation to make sure to see where you are. Because the states are very seductive. You have lived growing up with it. It's become an addictive state. You, you don't even know, but you're back there. Yeah. So it is important that you bring, you get centered, you know where you are, so you can move on of it. That's beautiful. And look, I think for a lot of people, uh, I've, I even wrote, I did a post on Facebook the other day, like I've been meditating now, like as a practitioner for 20 years. And every now and then still meditation feels like I'm just thinking about my problems with my eyes closed. And for some people, you know, they have different practices. You yes. know, I know for me, I, I started with um, guided meditations when I was very young. And then I started learning Vipassana in my early 20s. And then I moved into transcendental meditation. Um, maybe about six, five or six years ago now. And the, one of the biggest questions I get from people is what, what type of meditation should I do? And I always start with the one that feels, you know, the one that feels right for you. But when, the, when you look at the meditation that you teach at The One World, I know with Vipassana, it's, it's all about observation of self and body. And with Transcendental, it's about you know, focusing on a mantra and focusing the mind on the mantra. What's, what, what is it that's unique about the, the one, one World method of meditation? For us, Vipassana is about observing oneself, but we observe ourselves in the light of the insight. So it leads us to a state of freedom. So it is liberative in nature. So for us, the wisdom comes very closely to a practice. It is about experiencing freedom, it is about experiencing liberation at the end of it. Right. So even the tiniest practice would be to move into a beautiful state. So it has not a goal, I would say. It leaves you in a beautiful state. A state of calm, a state of love, a state of peace. Or it could be an expansive state. An expansive state of bliss, of serenity, of being one. For us, it's a progression. And the most, most I would say, if you want to call it difference, yes, for us, Meditation is about observing yourself in the light of an insight. We feel it is very important to observe in the light of an insight. Mm -hmm. and, and for us, it's about moving away from the stressful states and activating the mid prefrontal cortex where you start feeling expanded. And if you look at yourself, it is not when you're angry that you're in a, your life is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It is when you feel connected that life is beautiful. When you eat, having your sausage with your son, <laughs> life is beautiful. Yeah. For us, we start, even for us, it, for us, meditation is just not about, it's not an end in itself. For us, meditation is about moving into a state mm -hmm. which can impact life around us, which can impact your family, which can impact your kid. That's which can impact everybody in your organization. And um, I actually got a question the other day that I answered on, on one of our shows called Hey Kerwin, where someone said, you know, what is, the, what is the magic pill that I could give them that will help them drop into a deep meditation or deep state of meditation very quickly? Uh, and my answer was, well, you know, that's like going to the gym and saying, you know, is there any magic pill I can take in order to lift? It doesn't happen that way. Yeah. What but there is some meditation as a happening. So if you look at meditation, we can classify it as concentration-based meditation. Yeah. Uh, like you focus on a mantra or focus on your thing and separate everything else and the focus, you try to get back focusing on that thing. Or it's a flow-based meditation, like Vipassana, like start observing what was happening within you. For us, it's very important because it's, for us, it's important that we bring observation to our deepest, innermost thought and thinking and emotions and your consciousness. But there is also meditation as a happening. It happens for few people. It happens when, when you're fasting for several days. It happens when you receive um, when you enter into a field or it happens when you receive a diksha or it happens when um, 
I sometimes actually feel like I'm meditating when I'm cooking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And even sometimes when I'm in the garden and I'm gardening, yeah. I feel like It is like not I'm, separate. Yeah. Meditation is about bringing total attention to whatever is happening. Mm. Whether it is happening, your focus is within you or you're doing something and the focus is there. Or you're relating to you, your family or your kid, the focus is there. But just doing it, being whole and doing it completely. My experience for meditation has become an incredibly important part of my life and you know if anyone was to say to me you know what would be the top three things that you would do in order to you know create a superhuman life like meditation would certainly be one of the most important things that i would say if not the number one like it's had such a fundamentally huge impact in my life but i do get a lot of questions from people who say you know i try to meditate but i always have these random things that just pop in my head or my or my, my mind is really noisy or you know there's always a distraction what advice do you give to people who have tried to meditate and they've you know, labelled themselves as someone who can't do it. Like, what do you say to those people? We actually addressed, um, we, have a, we have a practice called the Soul Think Meditation that everybody, most of the participants, most of our students do it around the world. And the nice thing about that meditation it is to answer this question because many people are not able to focus, are not able to get themselves centred and they feel a lot of noise because they're hearing it for the first time. The noise is always there. Yeah. But once you start bringing attention, you hear it much more than what you've heard it earlier. So this meditation involves step-by-step -step practices, like it involves breath, it involves movement. It, it kind of makes you centered, makes you feel that you can do it. And at the same time, leaves you in a space of feeling expanded. And, and you hold a vision for that day, whatever you want for that day or for for that period of time in your life. So it's a beautiful meditation, but it involves techniques. Right. It involves like a step by step. But it's, it sounds like it's more physical. It involves more stimulation because, to focus. Yeah. Right. Because um, we use touching of the fingertips so that you, you can get more centered. It gets you more calm. Then it's about a humming which releases uh, nitric oxide, which makes you more calmer. So it is like slowly, progressively leading you into a state. So that's interesting. So when we hum, yes. it releases nitric oxide, yes, yes. And which makes us more calm. Yes. And I guess that's why Aum, the Aum is such a, a, powerful. a powerful, powerful hum. Okay, cool. So I know that you guys work with transcendental science and intelligence and heart. Can you explain how important has science been f for One World when it comes to spreading your message to the rest of the world? It is a lot of conviction for people because the activation of the mid-prefrontal cortex is very ancient. Yeah. It's probably thousands of years old where uh, the ancient Indian sages have spoken about this activating this part to experience enlightened states. But science is getting there. Science is right now speaking about activating the midprefrontal cortex. They called it Brahmagarbha. We are calling it the midprefrontal cortex. <laughs> Just to feel expanded, yeah. move you into a state. So science is coming there. Science is actually showing what is happening when we meditate, what is happening when we have this revolutionary insights in our lives. So it is just a empirical conviction, I would say. Yeah. And then because it does help people get their head around it. Yes, definitely. Because I know when I was, you know, when I first started learning about meditation and Gautama Buddha, and I was reading about some of his philosophies and how he was sharing things that science have only just found out about in the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And, and what I've discovered from my own experience is when we can provide science to people with the philosophy and the spiritual nature of what we're trying to present, it, it just enables them to yes. grasp. And it kind of it becomes a reality. It's yeah. not like about trying to do something that they're not knowing what they're doing. Yeah. But they actually know that this part of the brain, actually limbic system gets shut down. You're not living in those states of fear, stress and anger. But you're activating the beautiful part of your brain where you feel a sense of expansion, where you feel greater connection to everything around you. And even more deeper, those transcendental states where you feel being one with everything. Mm. It's about activating that part of your brain. And people, I think, get more convinced. They know it is, there is a lot more awareness going on in terms of trying to live life differently. People are tired, very tired. And they're looking for change. Yes. And um, when we talk about, you know, a lot of people talk about manifestation and they talk about the importance of meditation to help people align with their thoughts and their intentions. 
in order to increase the probability of being able to manifest you know, either certain situations or outcomes. Uh, what role does manifestation or form play in the one world space? Oh, it plays a huge space because we believe a state of consciousness directly impacts what you want to manifest in your life. Do you believe that our state of consciousness actually instantaneously affects our environment? Yes, because it's not a disconnected, a disjointed physical universe. Yeah. We believe it is disconnected. We believe we are separate and we're not part of this, but it's not so. And the separation between mind and matter is just an illusion. More you are in a beautiful state, more you're feeling expanded. You feel that the entire universe is coming together, rearranging itself into patterns to manifest your heartfelt intention. So you believe it is, it is possible for us to manifest yes, our it is heartfelt possible. intentions? Yes, and we have many people manifesting by living in a beautiful state of consciousness. By, it's not, it's not, it is not a positive thinking, it is not visualization, but it is your state of feeling expanded. So you, ha you expand, I mean, there's no boundaries to expansion. Yeah. It is the entire universe. It, it's limitless. And it li it's limitless and it, it rearranges to manifest what you want. It's interesting because I've actually had some people say to me like, so if I, if I learn how to meditate, then I can create whatever I want. And they're almost like a kid about to sit on Santa's knee. Um, but for me, I've always seen meditation as a way of affecting probabilities. And yes. So for me, I've always learned that nothing's ever certain, but our thinking can increase the probability of it. You know, of, of you're it not happening. fighting with the universe. See, yes. if you're not fighting within yourself, if you're not conflicted, if there's not so much of noise and confusion that's happening within you, then you're not fighting with the universe. You feel universe is very friendly and loving. And it would manifest mm. what you feel is love and kindness. And it's interesting for some people, oftentimes when they set an intention to manifest something, they will manifest something different from what they want. And they'll be like, well, I didn't order this. <sighs> but what I've experienced is oftentimes we will manifest something that is needed for you, something that is needed, yes. but it's not necessarily what we wanted, yes. but it was actually what we needed in the first place. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> because universe it's is almost a like a friend. universal joke, right? <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? Like the entire universe is coming together to answer what mm. you need, even more than what you know you need. <laughs> so you talked about being limitless before. Um, and when we talk about being a limitless being, what does that mean in the context of where you, where you live? The first, from this, uh, right now we can talk about being limited as being in a limited state, which is actually so detrimental to our own lives and lives of people around us living in a stressful state. Actually, that separates you from all that is around you. Right. If you look, actually, if you're able to bring attention to one moment of stress, stress, of course, it's not only to frustration that we experience in life, but it's also every state, like anger, fear, hurt, jealousy, they're all stressful states. Because when you are in that state, the entire experience of life is not beautiful. And when you are in that state, you feel so separate from all that is around, and you're limited. Do you think it's possible to be stressed in a, like an over-excited, happy state? No, no. I, I don't think so. Okay. When you're pleasure-driven and obsessive, then yes. Yes, okay, yeah. But not when you're happy and joyful. Happy and joyful, great distinction. Yeah. So. With so where do you believe wisdom, wisdom comes from? Because you know I, know, I know from my own experience with the stroke um, and also just growing up with a, a mother who's a clairvoyant and a psychic, that you know, wisdom can come from anywhere at any time and, and just show up. Um, but in your world, where do you believe wisdom emanates from? When you say my world? In well, from your perspective. Okay. Wisdom comes, wisdom arises, when you're able to start seeing your inner world very clearly without being camouflaged with so many other things. But if you're able to bring such great clarity into what is happening, then an insight comes. Wisdom comes from that place. Do you think there's this collective wisdom that just sits around us constantly that 
if we quiet ourselves enough and we open our hearts wide enough that we actually have access to that is millions you if not. have a huge load of wisdom just set right here right so you believe it's in here in here right. and if you start observing because when well i guess what you're saying is because what's in here is out there and what's out there is in here so there is no difference yes in yeah, that way yes we're going to be screwing with a few people's brains here <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful <clears throat> so for someone who's maybe listening to this and going, you know what, I would like to experience more of a beautiful state. I'd like to experience, you know, more of a connected life. Like, where would you suggest someone to start? We can start with meditation. We can start with, we have definitely practices at One World Academy, which is available. It's available online. So if they want, they can access that. But beautiful. meditation is a beautiful tool to start with. It's not about, it's not a lifestyle. It is, it's becoming a lifestyle. But if you start living, if you start meditating, if you start living life from a more beautiful state, which we call a no-stress state, yeah. the entire life changes. Mm. Because the experience is not the same. The same, same water that we drink from a, from a cup is very different from what it was earlier. The experience of life is, it's, it's very beautiful. And what would you suggest, actually, what's one thing that people can practice them or do no matter where in the world that they are to enhance their meditation? You've said, suggested it's a great place to start. Yes. And so for people who haven't done it, like there are things that they can do and there are apps that they can learn or, or download to, to, to learn. But for people who perhaps have started the practice of meditation and maybe doing it a few times a week or maybe even a few times a day, is there, some, is there anything that you can give people as perhaps a suggestion to enhance the meditation, even if it's only just a small tweak that you've discovered you know, through your own journey? There is a practice called the serene mind practice, which all of our students practice. It. So whenever you feel not good, whenever you not physically, within yourself, whenever you feel you're moving into anger, a place of stress. You just need to do this practice and it doesn't take longer than three minutes. And as you do it, at the end of it, you feel you're more calm and more present. I don't know if you want us to do it now or if you want, them, want me to lead now or they can just access whatever is fine with you. Yeah, would you like to do one now? Yeah, that'll be perfect. Sure, yeah. Just close your eyes. Bring attention to your breath. Inhale and exhale, deep and slow. Identify the exact emotion that is arising within you right now. Is it fear, anxiety, irritation, frustration, or is it joy, calm? peace, love, or connection.
bring attention to the movement of your thinking are you engaged with your past or are you engaged with your future or are you in the present Observe yourself. Are you preoccupied with yourself or are you feeling connected? Do not try to change anything, just observe. Now imagine a flame glowing in the middle of your forehead. See this flame moving to the middle of your skull. Bring a gentle smile to your face. Open your eyes whenever you're ready. Mm, thank you. This practice we use whenever one is feeling disturbed. Whenever? One is feeling disturbed. Right. One is feeling stressful. One is moving into anger. It moves you out of that place into being more calm. Hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, I'm curious to know if you, at the One World, have used meditation in your philosophies and the intelligence that you have in order to treat addiction. In order to treat, treat addiction. addiction, yes, every practice. I mean, actually, if you see the when we talk about addiction, it is about getting into it, even without knowing, realizing that you're in it. Yeah. Actually, the entire world is there. Yeah. <laughs> we are moving into stress as quickly as possible we, because we yeah. don't know. So the practice that we are doing definitely helps you out, slowly but surely gets you out of it. Right. And if you if you look at all our students, they know how to get off that place much more easily. Mm. It's not that you never get angry. It is not that you're never going to feel sad. But you're not going to live your life from that place. So you're getting out of it faster. So in that sense, yes, mm. the, the entire practice that happens, the wisdom that is happening over there, it's to help you out of moving away from addiction. Right now it's addiction from stress, but any addiction is addiction. So. Do you also use it when it comes to people with substance addiction? Because I know most people, when they think of addiction, they typically think of substance or alcohol. Uh, and I, it just I love needs greater perseverance. It just yeah. needs greater support. I would, I, I would say it's important to have the support of the entire system and the family yeah. to help. At the same time, the person must be willing to get out of it. Yeah, and do the work. Yes. But it is interesting, especially in Western, in Western psychology, when we hear the terms addiction, most Westerners aren't aware of the fact that their emotions are addictive. Yes. You know, although Eastern philosophy has known about this for, for centuries, yes. you know, it's been widely practiced. 
and meditation is a great way for people to alleviate their addictions from their emotions. Definitely. But I've also experienced... Even for even any form of addiction. Well, that's what yes. I was going to say, even for my ex, because I'm an addict. Uh, I've, had a, you know, I've had a history of, 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 drug of drug problems and I've found that meditation has been one of the most incredible things that has enabled me to liberate myself. You know, I don't go as far as saying free myself because I, I understand from my perspective with my experience as it is right now. Um, you know, addiction is one of those things, the moment you think you're cured, it's very dangerous because it's, you know, it's, it's easy to fall back, it's a slippery slope. Um, so, you know, I always, you know, I navigate that very carefully, but I do know that, you know, meditation has provided me enormous levels strength. of release. Yes. Relief and release at the same time. It's about creating, I would say meditation is about creating new neural patterns in your brain. So when you talk about, you get addicted to something probably because of the pleasure that you get from it yeah. or you just escape from whatever that is the loneliness that you suffer. But if you're able to create new neural pathways, like see, you like it's like surging current that creates the riverbed. So you're creating a new neural pathway with a new state of consciousness for a beautiful state. Then slowly the old pathways wither away. Mm. Then you start experiencing more, more and more freedom. So for a lot of people who have probably experienced, whether it be you know exposure to personal development or even you know some philosophies around spirituality and manifestation. And there's a lot of information that talks about the importance of the brain and how the brain is sending out these, you know, the, these, um, these waves uh, and, you know, has this impact on the electromagnetic field in our environment. But not a lot of people in the West really focus on the heart. So I'm just curious to understand from your perspective, you know, from the science and also from the philosophy and your experience with One World, like the role of the heart that it plays, not just in meditation, but also when it comes to us expressing our wisdom and being open to the wisdom that we have you know, within us and around us? The separation between the heart and the brain itself, I think, is, a, is not right. Uh, in the, it's not right in the sense like they're actually not separate. Mm. <laughs> they're connected. And probably what the Western world is focusing right now is the actual activation of the brain for different emotions that we feel in our heart. So they're connected in that way. So not that heart is independent of the brain or the brain is independent of the heart, but whatever's happening here impacts that and whatever's happening there impacts. I think it's easier to study the brain so there's a lot of more focus that's happening on the brain. You know, which part is active when you feel something, which part is not active. But actually there is no separate, like at the end of it, when you activate certain parts of the brain, you feel greater connection. Mm. You feel greater love, you feel greater joy. When we talk about activating the mid prefrontal cortex, it leaves you in a space where your heart is expanded. Mm. I would say the Western way of studying and analyzing is more on the brain, more because of it's easy to verify in terms of using those fMRI and yeah. seeing which part is active, but it actually activates your heart. Mm. You feel more connected, there is more love. You feel it all here. There is more love, there is more joy, there is more connection. But you don't say you feel it here. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. But, but activating certain parts actually is meaning to activating your heart. And what do you think the role of intuition is on our journey? Or more importantly, maybe we'll start with, what do you believe intuition is? For me, intuition comes from a place of connection. It is actually feeling what the other person is feeling. As you said, you, you, you did not know when you were in the hospital, you, didn't, you were forgetting, so you were starting to use another form, another faculty of yourself. Yeah. So it is your heart that you used to feel connected. So intuition comes from the place of feeling connected. One thing it can stop somewhere or just need not stop because there's no, there is no boundaries to connection. And it's an incredible gift that we all have access to. And what do you suggest is, a, you know, and again, I know that this is going to sound like a rhetorical question, and maybe it is, but it's not meant to be. What do you think is the greatest? Because I've found personally, the more in touch we are with that guidance system, like that internal intuitive guidance system, the more on, on purpose that we are and the more, you know, the, the more connected we are to, to where it is that we're going. But a lot of people say to me, well, how do I become more intuitive? What would you be your suggestion for people? More intuition comes from more connection, and more connection comes from moving away from stressful state. Mm. 
moving away from suffering moving away from your stressful states leads you to a place of connection that is only when you're out of that limited state you can feel another otherwise there is no other person in your life so as you move away from this stressful state you experience greater connection and from that sense place of greater connection there's greater intuition in life and if you look at our own lives the most brilliant decisions of our lives or most important decisions that have gone right comes from a place from the state rather than from all the skills that we have learned from the knowledge that we have gained so it's important that we bring back attention to our state mm. what do you think is the role of the ego the role of the ego yeah can we be more specific? So, we, you know, oftentimes in spirituality, you know, people refer to enlightenment and they refer to the ego. And the ego is, you know, oftentimes something that's presented as this barrier or this obstacle to achieving... You in know, that sense, it's a sense of self. Yeah. It's your experience of self, whether you're feeling very limited to your body, to your mind, yeah. or is the sense of self expanded to include others. And when it expands a lot more, it in includes the entire universe, then you're enlightened. <laughs> Do you think the ego plays an important role in spirituality? Role in spirituality? You yeah. have to break through, break free of that ego? Well, what, I've, what I find interesting is, you know, that I've, I've observed, you know, many people express themselves in many different ways. And the spiritual, in, the industry of spirituality is a very interesting industry since it's become commercialized. Because once upon a time, obviously, the spiritual industry was, was non-commercial. People did it because it was for love and it was for heart. But now, you know, with the commercial application of business models to, spiritual, um, to spirituality, you know, I've seen the advent of people who develop what I would refer to as the spiritual ego, whereby they... Oh, yes. Uh, just knowing that you're more superior than the rest. Yeah. That's what you're talking yes. about. Yes. It actually it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, right? It doesn't it's absolutely doesn't make any sense to know, to feel that you're so more superior than the rest. Yeah, but is it something that we need to be aware of? Because I've seen you know even some of my own students on the journey I'm, as they start to become more aware. Yes, they start to think, oh, I'm, I'm now more, more aware. Superior I'm now than the rest. Than, I'm, you know, I'm more. I meditate more than you. I saw. I see more than you. It's, it's like, not about accumulation of knowledge. It is not about that the. the the accumulation of t number of hours that you've meditated. It's actually about what happens to you. It's not a competition. No, it's yeah. about how it's impacted your consciousness. Mm. It's your experience. It is definitely not another degree or, or a feather to your, to your cap. It doesn't work that way. And just to understand that more egoistic or more separate we are feeling, mm. more superior that we are feeling than the others, then less spiritual you are in terms of your consciousness being limited to yourself. Do you because in that, in that space where you're starting to feel superior, yeah. you're separating yourself from the rest. Yeah. That is the opposite of what you're supposed to be in, that state that you're supposed to be in. And what's the great practice to dissolve ego? What would you suggest? Just to know where you are. Yeah. People, I, as I say, people don't know where they are. They practice meditation, but they don't bring attention to it's like, you know, the number of hours you're sitting and closing your eyes. It is not so. It's actually seeing how much you're growing as a person in terms of, you know, feeling, feeling that love, feeling that connection. You don't need to even have those expanded states. You don't need to even have those transcendental states. But in your everyday life, how much connected you are. Because that state of connection does not stop with you. It'll impact you, it'll impact your family, it'll impact many generations together. And, um, and so it, it actually translates into your life. So we had, um, I was in Los Angeles meeting with a couple of people and there was this little boy who, who got into that group and he was very excited to see me and he said like, we had a program for one of the entrepreneurs, one of the big businessmen and, and this person sends out emails every week to uh, thousands of his employees. So this, this little boy, who's 18, 19, who's very young, who's interning in that company, was very excited to see me because he knows I was also working with his um, boss. So he says, since, you've, since he started doing all this practice, 
the mails that come out of his office has changed drastically. You know that person is not the same anymore mm. with the words that come out of his email. Mm. So it actually starts having a great impact on everything. It's not about you living in a beautiful state, it's about others. It's about you creating a beautiful world for everybody around you. As many lives as you can impact. And to, to finish off, what, what is love? Love is a feeling that you experience when you feel connected. Love is a feeling that you experience when you feel grateful. Yeah, for me, these two are experiences of love. And what is love not? Because I think in the Western world, I think we sometimes become confused as to what love is and what love isn't. You know, we, I think Hollywood has sold this, this ideal of what love is. And I think some people are constantly searching for something that they see on a movie screen that actually doesn't exist. What love is not. Love is not controlling other. Love is not uh, making the other person behave the, you, the way you want the other person to behave. From my experience, just letting me be the way I am, accepting me totally, not trying to change me, not trying to tamper with me, is love. Mm. Where I feel I can be myself, where there is no fear in that relationship, where he brings a lot, Krishnaji brings a lot of attention to how I feel. It is not only important that I live a comfortable life, it is very important for him that I live a joyful life. So there is a lot of attention that is brought to how I feel. For me, that is love. That's beautiful. Pritaji, thank you so much for your time today. I feel incredibly honored to finally meet you. Thank um, you so much. I'm so happy to oh, meet you after so many years. So many years. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I'm not surprised. I knew, I knew this circle was going to come around yeah. and it was going to meet again. Uh, and I hope this is the beginning of you know, many more meetings in the future. And um, look, we'll put some more information on the podcast and on the links on the website yeah. so people can find out more about the One World Academy and, and more about what you do. Thank you so time. much. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor. Don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray.